Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director, PR Week, and I guide you gently through another show. We're in August, but there's still plenty to talk about, lots of news going on. We've got a terrific guest with us today. It's Paul Suchman, who's CMO of Odyssey. So, hi, Paul. How are you? How are you, Steve? It's great to spend some time with you and Frank today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, going to have a good chat. And Frank Washcook is here, our regular co-host. Hey, how are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Once we've chatted to Paul, we'll talk with Frank about PR Week unveiling its 40 under 40 list. Uh, former Weber COO Frank Okanuk pled guilty to a $16 million fraud last week. We'll get into that. Brian Besson-Senny's moved from Walmart to Boeing. Havas, positive Q2 results. What's your thoughts on Choco Taco? That's the big story of the week and social media. And PR Week launched its best places to work as well. But let's start with you, Paul. Many people, I guess, will know Odyssey as Entercom, which was how the company traded for many years. He rebranded last year. It's a $1.2 billion company. You've got loads of radio stations, 230-odd, I think. and But you're really moving into podcasts as well. I think you've got about 3,000. So tell us a, a little bit about Odyssey for those who don't know the company and also about the rebranding last year and the thinking behind that. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was a a fantastic introduction. If you could tell another couple million of your best friends about us, I'd appreciate it. Well, we'd love to have a couple of million listeners. We do our best on PR Week and we've been podcasting our way. So we'll get the people who matter listen to the PR Week, Paul. Indeed they do, Steve. Indeed they do. So um, yeah, up, up till about a year and a half ago, the company was known as Entercom. And In the audio space, Entercom had gone through some tremendous growth, both organic and acquisition-driven growth. Um, On the acquisition side, the company acquired all of the audio assets from CBS Radio. As you said, 230 radio stations in the top markets across the country. That was back in 2017, I think, yeah? Exactly, exactly. And around that same time, we also started to make some very strategic acquisitions in the podcasting space. Two of the premier studios out there with Cadence 13 and Pineapple Street Studios. And then a third with Podcorn, which is a really cool marketplace. And we can we can get into what Podcorn does. We also had um, in that acquisition of CBS, we, uh, we, we got their streaming property as well, which was called Radio.com. So we found ourselves at this inflection point where we had a total audio solution across over-the-air broadcast, streaming, podcasting, a live events business. And we were quite literally a house of brands. And the buying community, the agencies, the brands themselves, they had a hard time understanding the totality of the offering. And they had a hard time really understanding how to buy us. Are their relationship existed with a cluster of stations? 
or a suite of podcasts or maybe some stations on the stream. So in part, that rebranding was to create a clear signal to the marketplace of who we had become, where we were going, and we wanted to make it really, really easy for buyers to buy into the platform. Uh, so we launched about a year and a half ago out to the buying community, to the B2B marketplace, most importantly to our own employees. But we didn't really launch Odyssey yet to the consumer audience. So consumers over the last years, their relationship still remains with the individual brands in the portfolio. And we're getting ready, gearing up to do some real brand and demand generation marketing to bring the Odyssey brand into consumers' minds and hearts. So that was what drove it. And it's been about a year and a half, and it's really been a fantastic uh, transformation for the company. Yeah, sounds good. When do you think you'll launch it to the public then? Have you got a, a date in mind for that? We're still looking at that now. We have relaunched our consumer app, that app that I said was once radio.com. And our 2.0 version of the app launched. Uh, we're continuing to enhance that app over the next several months. Really interesting features there. You know, radio itself is an incredible medium, right? There's no medium that connects more deeply where the experience is more intimate. But as people are moving really into that digital consumption age, uh, this app now takes all of that content and adds great interactive functionality around it. So you're able to do things with live radio, like pause live radio, rewind live radio, comment and chat in live radio that you were never able to do before. So we're watching the app, we're watching the development, and we've begun that acquisition marketing to bring our current users over into the new app. And we're just looking at the marketplace right now. We're looking at economic headwinds right now. And I, I think we'll make a decision about when we're going to launch it over the next couple of months, but probably sometime into Q4, Q1. Right. Sounds good. But uh, that makes a lot of sense with the B2B audience, the media agencies, and all the other agencies that buy media now, and it's not confined to media shops now. We know PR firms are buying an increasing amount of media, especially digital. So I guess Odyssey is a better descriptor because what you're saying is here's an audio, an audience you can reach via audio and content, and whether that's a podcast, whether it's a radio station. So I guess that's the thinking behind it. How how has how have you seen media agencies and buyers pick that up, and what sort of campaigns can they now buy? Give us an example of something that's a very integrated buy across all the different audio platforms, not just a traditional radio buy. Absolutely. The response has been tremendous. We have continued to grow our share in the marketplace. And there's a lot of formidable competitors out there. What we have seen is that brands, you know, what's really interesting about Odyssey is because our legacy is in the radio space, we have brands that advertise on the platform on a single station, on a cluster of stations in a market. So you have very small brands all the way up to global brands advertising. And particularly on those global brands, we have seen them migrate from pure over-the-air buys to really total audio buys. So they're buying over-the-air across markets. They're buying very specific opportunities on streaming stations or on our radio stations that we're streaming. And then they're buying our podcasts. 
And what they're finding, the reason that they're doing that, one is they want the total audio solution. But what we have seen with audio, we have seen audio consumption go through a meteoric rise, particularly during the pandemic. There was a hypothesis that maybe audio consumption would ebb as the pandemic hit and people weren't in their cars as much. But what we found was it was quite the opposite. Consumption went up because people were consuming on their computer. They were consuming over their phones. They were consuming in smart speakers. And they were because it is such a portable, ubiquitous medium, they were taking it with them wherever they went. So part of the drive for these brands and having a total audio solution is following people throughout their day. Understanding audio is no longer a medium that's just a reach medium that you hit them in the car, but you are actually with people throughout their journey through the day. So we're seeing brands across virtually every industry take advantage of that and really lean into it. And we're seeing some real strong uh, shifts in uh, the media mix that brands are using, whereas audio was previously underinvested by a lot of brands. We're seeing that now come into its own. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so true, actually. We saw the big rise of social audio, didn't we, with Clubhouse, which kind of rose and fell dramatically. But we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But certainly, user habits, everybody listens to podcasts now, whether they're commuting, they might download them for a flight or just when they're walking around the house. It's how people are spending their time, isn't it? And radio as well. So, yeah, it's a really fertile ground for development. So tell us about the different habits of media buying. And are you seeing more interaction with non-media agencies? So... PR firms, for example, because we know that they're buying a lot of digital media and advertising firms. Tell us how that agency world is developing beyond the pure media shops. Yeah. Well, we're seeing, you know, our, our partners are, are, we have strong partnerships in the media agencies and we are seeing them becoming just more and more sophisticated, hungry for innovation, hungry for new ideas, hungry for creativity as the brands that they serve are are uh, depending on it. We're also seeing, as you say, uh, new buyers and new buyers who are not in the traditional media buying space. PR firms, as you said, direct to brands, as you said, um, working with other media companies in really interesting partnerships, um, both in the digital space and the podcasting space and over the air. So um, everybody is buying these days. Um, the, the barriers to buying audio are low. Uh, you can work directly with the platform. The barriers to creating content, to creating that advertising, whether they're standalone spots, they're live reads, they're more integrated content, they're more sophisticated. Having great sound design, having great copywriting, having great voice is important, but the barrier is low. We can, you know, you, Frank, and I could create some great audio advertising right here, right now. Let's do it. We would need uh, some revenues. <laughs> yep, we're going to need your sound engineer, who's a pro, to do do a little overlay for us. But we've, we've it'll got great. podcaster general Bill Fitzpatrick in charge of the dials. So yeah, there, there the, you go. The other side, I guess, of what you do is that you're in lots of local markets, and you know we've heard about the decline in local media, especially in print. But the, there's been some interesting developments, and people people like Axios investing in local media. Where are we at? Where are we with local media now? Do you? Do you see that coming back a bit? Is there a more of an appetite for people to get back to 
more of a local focus on the world and actually you know that's that's what people's lived lives really encompass around isn't it i would say um absolutely i would say 100% whereas a few years ago people didn't want to talk about local as much as they did i think that there's a couple of factors that have driven the the renaissance and and the reimagining and the refalling in love with local Part of it is that, you know, we're living in a very bifurcated society. It is, there has never been more geopolitical tension and people are turning to their communities. People are digging back into where they are from and their roots. And by the way, local and community may be interchangeable words, but we love this idea of community because a community may be geographic based, a community may be shared passion based. We're seeing People really find solace, find trust, find support, find companionship in those communities. So brands want to connect with people in environments where they are comfortable, where trust is high, where engagement is high. And we are seeing that more than ever in local markets. I'm guessing with the midterms coming up, that will be even more exacerbated. And that must be good times for your advertising sales department. Oh, that it, it absolutely is. I mean, the, the you know, we have a lot of strength in news, in talk, in sports. And so the fall is just so robust for us as football kicks off, as baseball moves into the playoffs. And as this is this is a very, very hot political season. So the local news right now has never, ever been stronger. And I think a lot of that is being fueled by what we just talked about. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. Well, it's great to hear more about Odyssey and uh, looking forward to the developments there and really looking forward to seeing how our the people in our space, if you like, in PR Week, you know, interact with paid media because we know that they're getting more and more involved. So I'm um, looking forward to tracking that story and we'll get your input into our new stories, which we will pick up now with Frank. Frank, tell us about the 40 under 40 list. It's often the busiest traffic article we do every year, isn't it? The rising stars of the industry. And we've just announced the 2022 uh, honorees. It's a terrific list like it is every year. And I would point out it's a great mixture of people from the client side, people from the agency side, and not just that. Uh, it, it's it's In terms of agencies, there's a wide diversity of the types of agencies on the list. Uh, everyone from Edelman, the biggest agency in the world, to small girls PR, there's it's a wide representation of different types of, of industries and interesting work featured across all of the people that we have on the list this year. So it's a great list. It debuted on PR Week this Tuesday. Go check it out if you have a chance. Yeah, I, it's always a great list. It's always a brilliant event. It will be taking place in New York City on the 27th of October. So do join us there for that massive celebration one of the best nights of the year. But what I loved about the group as a whole is that they they want to make the world a better place. And we we need that at the moment. So it, behind most of the candidates that we chose, they're doing not just doing a brilliant job at work, they're purposeful in their day jobs, but they're also doing side hustles and, and giving back to communities and really putting giving back. And that's what really encourages me about the next generation of leadership and the different things they're doing, whether that's, you know, fostering cats and dogs or advocating around mental health or 
getting involved with uh, DEI and putting back in local communities. So really inspiring stories, great class of future leaders and uh, recommend. Steve, I didn't see out. myself on the list here. I'm looking at the pictures. I'm, I'm not there. Paul, are you, st- are you still uh, eligible? That's the first no, question. No, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's my note. As I scroll down these faces, they're all looking so young and fresh-faced. It's awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. What about, uh, t- I mean, young talent coming through the industry? It's, it's great to see. And the skills they're coming up with, integrated media, digital media, as well as earned, shared, and owned. It's just second nature to them, isn't it? It absolutely is. It's And it's funny you say that. I had the t- uh, a moment to spend some time last week with our interns who are quite a bit younger than these folks, but the, the, the group of interns, I I have not seen such a smart, hungry, energetic, engaged group in, in years. And I'll tell you another thing. They were just so excited to be back in the workplace and back leaning in and learning and live and connected. Um, so hopefully yeah. this 40 under 40 list, like this next generation of employees is going to help propel us forward and make the world a better place. I'm with you. They de- yeah, they definitely are. And shout out to the PR, our PR Week intern this year, Caitlin Herman. She's doing a great job for us, doing some brilliant content, got some, a lot of bylines and more to come from her, I'm sure. Let's talk about another big story, Frank, the Webber's former COO, Frank Okunak, he, he pled guilty last week to $16 million of fraud perpetrated over a number of years. Really incredible story in many respects. Tell us all about it. A number of big points uh, about this story. And, and first of all, the long and short of it is that Frank Okunak, the former CFO and COO at Weber Shanwick, pled guilty last Wednesday to embezzling more than $16 million from the firm over a period of decades. So just the scale of the, the fraud that happened here is pretty incredible. Uh, it happened under three CEOs at Weber. And it's it's interesting in that you, you think about this and a lot of the – where this happened was tickets for sporting events, donations to his alma mater, things like that. You, you, just the the size of of this sixteen million dollars over ten years is really stunning. You could imagine that this sort of thing goes on on a smaller scale, of course, but just the sheer size of it, I think, really takes you by surprise with this story. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of money. It's over a, a, a roughly ten, eleven year period, isn't it? I think and. Uh, it was a pretty shocking story, wasn't it? What did you feel the reaction from the industry was? So everybody was talking about it. And clearly, yeah, Weber Shamwick is one of the most respected agencies in the world that Frank Okunak was right up there in the C-suite. He was, you know, shared office space with the most senior leaders in that agency and had done for years. And we've seen a lot of change around that leadership in the past few years, but it was it was generally a shocking story, wasn't it, when it broke? I think so, too, and I think that's some of the reaction uh, that, that I got. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you also get some emails that it, it's a mix of disappointment and anger and, you know, some, uh, you know, some other emotions with it from people that have worked there over the years. It's, um, yeah, definitely a surprising story uh, and, and definitely something that, despite the scale of it, was not that well known throughout the industry, and I don't think at Weber at large. Yeah, so Frank Okunak worked over the years. He worked with leaders including Harris Diamond, Andy Polanski, and uh, Jack Leslie. Latterly, for the very last part of his 
tenure there, he worked for uh, Weber's current CEO, Gail Hyman. So he worked with all these leaders. Andy Polanski, of course, retired from the firm at the end of June this year. And uh, Jack Leslie and Harris Diamond retired in, in the previous two or three years. But yeah, quite a shocking story and really a bit of a wake-up call for agencies. We've seen f- stories about fraud before with agencies like Next15, and especially from their financial department. And Okanak was the CFO and in charge of that part of the business. And frankly, you've got to wonder what clients think of it. I'm sure there's a lot of um, chat between Weber and their clients just to reassure them that this was not involving client money and that it was uh, not a widespread thing. And it was, uh, you know, a, a one-off thing that they've now got. Yeah, I would of. imagine that's definitely happening, um, as well as some raised eyebrows for sure. Yeah, and it's just a reminder that, you know, we're in a creative industry here, but you've got to take care of the nuts and bolts and look after the basics and have proper safeguards and governance in, in your agency. So, yeah, um, interesting story. On the move. People moves continue to come apace. Frank and uh, another high-profile one was Brian Bessonseni moving uh, from Walmart to Boeing. Yeah, he's uh, he's gone from one prominent organization to another here. So that's Walmart's Brian Bessenseni. He's the chief communications officer at Walmart. He reports up to the star of our power list, Dan Bartlett. And he is moving over to Boeing as their chief communications officer. He's also a veteran of Disney and the Bush administration. But he is moving over to become the top comms person at Boeing. Now, this uh, this role has had a lot of people in it over the past couple of years. Ed Dandridge was there most recently, and he left after less than two years due to a family emergency. And temporarily, the role was overseen by Ann Schmidt, who was VP of Corporate Communications at Boeing. So a tough job when you think about all of the things that Boeing has been through over the past couple of years. And look, there's always, in a company like this, there's always the danger that something mechanically can go wrong. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure it has quite the, the crisis playbook that it, it adheres to. But yeah, I, you know, Brian really well known from uh, his time at Walmart uh, and from other roles before that. So uh, keeping an eye on him and the new role. Yeah. And I guess if you're, you know, in, in the number two in, a, in an organization, having that chance to do the number one position and he will be well versed in crisis and reputation issues working at Walmart. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Paul, is Brian someone you you're a, know of? Absolutely. You know, I've watched his career. And to me, I I made a similar move. I went from CBRE, which is really square in the B2B space, the world's largest real estate investment and services firm to Odyssey. Um, You know, and you could argue real estate is about butts and seats and and Odyssey is about ears on content. You know, one's B2E and one is B2B and B2C. And, you know, I think you're seeing executives move more fluidly between B2B type, heavy crisis type, regulated type uh, businesses really fluidly into more consumer based popular type brands, very in in the zeitgeist type brands. And I think you're seeing that because these are just really smart, well-trained marketing and communication and PR executives who understand not just the not just the uh, the mechanics, but the also the subtleties of communication. You know, it may be B2B, it may be B2C, it may be crisis, it may be brand, it may be um, reporting, but it's really about great communications. And I think those tenets are, are just more important than ever. I think 
the the things that Brian has seen at Walmart are going to have uh, a real uh, immediate benefit to the team at Boeing. Yeah, I think you're right about the lines between B two B, B two C, etc. They they are grayer, and um, it will be interesting to see how he does. And good luck to him in, in the new role. And uh, Havas has posted its Q2 financials, Frank, and it's following the trend of pretty positive numbers, actually, especially given all the uncertainties around the, the overall economic climate. Absolutely, and good to see. So organic revenues were up 11.5% for Havas in Q2. Uh, that follows uh, Interpublic and Omnicom, uh, who have also done uh, some pretty positive Q2 numbers. Um, now, Havas does not break out the individual PR revenues of its agency or, or agency network. Um, and it's, of course, part of Vivendi, the media company. But as you pointed out, it is interesting in that uh, these numbers are strong. Uh, that's in contrast to what a lot of the social media companies are seeing. Though we should point out, and this was in the Wall Street Journal this morning, uh, Amazon is the one bucking the trend. Their their advertising network is actually doing quite well, uh, while Snap is not and Facebook is not. Um, so, um, you know, interesting juxtaposition there. Actually, just mentioning Facebook, um, one story we, we covered, which uh, was interesting, was Nick Clegg, who's the top communicator there and uh, almost a sort of not, not a replacement for Sheryl Sandberg, but very close to to the top leadership there. He's moving back he's, he's moving back to the UK, or at least as his main location. Yeah, temporarily. Now, it seems uh, from that story, a lot of this is family related. What's interesting about that, too, is that the head of Instagram, Adam Osseri, is also moving to London part time um, for business reasons as, as they they work on, you know, uh, evolving that platform. So uh, that's that's two top executives uh, within Meta are doing that right now. Very interesting. It's good news, though, right? I mean, as as all boats rise with the tide, it's it's good to see the agencies delivering such strong numbers that there is still confidence in advertising. Um, yeah, what are you seeing on that front, Paul? Because obviously, economically, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty around, and it's very volatile. But you know, from what we're seeing, you know, demand in advertising, which is often an, an early sort of indicator, it seems to be seems to be staying fairly strong. We're seeing remaining cautious optimism. Uh, there have been some pullbacks. Some of it is also due to the seasonality of summer, and it gets a little quiet. But I think you know, as we spoke about before, uh, this is going to be a very busy fall season, and advertisers will invest. They may be investing in different areas than the traditional big platforms, but they are going to continue to invest in their brands and driving demand and you know customer engagement. Yeah, and there does seem to be a bit more good news around on the economic front as well. So yeah, we'll, we'll track that. Frank, I was just wondering whether Nick Clegg's heading back to London because he's seen that vacuum in the Prime Minister's office in 10 Downing Street. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, it's a different party, though, right? I mean, you could t- I don't, well, I don't follow he, he, British politics he, that closely, but uh, yeah, but he was dep- he was um, deputy prime minister to David Cameron because the Liberal Party formed a coalition with the Tories. So he's right. Uh, right. Do you want to make a yeah, prediction on who's going to emerge out of that? Uh, I mean, that's like that's like the the winner of the slowest horse race, isn't it? You know, it's like it's not a we're not talking like the elite here, but. Uh, I think I'll stay out of it, mate. If that's well, okay well do you think you. Boris is going to try to hang on? 
Boris, no. What? No, that ship has sailed. Well, he's already trying to hang on physically, isn't he? It seems like the smart money, well, I don't know about smart money, he's on Liz Truss at the moment, but I mean, it's a, it's certainly a, a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, let's just stay out of that one, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. We'll let the Conservative Party sort it out back in the UK. Let's get to the big story of the week, Frank, and I know you're a big fan of this one. It's Choco Taco and the, the latest in our coverage of social media trends and Applebee's and Winky Lux we've been covering too, but Choco Taco has been making some uh, social media news, hasn't it? Well, we should warn our listeners first and foremost that this story may change by the time that this podcast hits the airwaves. Um, But as of right now, the Chaco Taco is going to be discontinued uh, for good uh, sometime soon. It's a it's a bit of a cult dessert uh, from Klondike. Um, And, you know, you could have gotten it at uh, Taco Bell, you know, years ago and, and things like that. Anyway, really well liked. Uh, but it was announced it would be discontinued soon. But now there are some reports that they might be flip-flopping on this decision and um, they might be looking at ways to bring it back because of the massive customer uproar over it. Well, isn't that, uh, it could be one of those Machiavellian marketing strategies, couldn't it? You know, put it out there that we're going to discontinue it and get the get social media activated and all of a sudden we've got it a, could be, a spike uh, in sales. Sneak preview, we do have a behind-the-scenes story coming on this very soon, so look out for that. Do you, do you like you like a Choco Taco pool, yeah? I, you better believe I do. If they do discontinue it, I am going to raise money, buy the brand myself, and bring it back. I've thought about that with a lot of different brands. There was a moment where they were going to sunset Paps Blue Ribbon, and I, was, I wanted to yeah. pounce on that one too. But Choco Taco, is, uh, it's, it's, good, it's good food. There you go. Yeah. And then uh, Applebee's and Winky Lux were also in the news this week, Frank. Yes, they were. Uh, one of these campaigns that you read and you're like, well, I'm, I'm definitely not the, the target audience for this. But uh, <laughs> Applebee's and Winky Lux are teaming up to create chicken wing flavored lip gloss. Uh, comes in three flavors. And um, so uh, Applebee's talked about this. And, and a big part of this campaign is that Applebee's is uh, a bit of a late night date spot. Uh, and it's also uh, the wings are popular. And so mashing those two things together and with a combination with another brand, you know, voila, $18 a piece. Or I'm sorry, $18, $18 each for one of the flavored lip glosses or a four piece combo of $65. There you go. And don't tell me they've sold out, right? I, I don't know that yet, but we can check in with them. That, and that seems see to be the narrative. Is. You could combine it with your KFC sunscreen, couldn't you? It'd be a nice little combo, don't you think? <laughs> you could, yes, yes. <laughs> Frank, one day they will actually do some campaigns for which me and you are the target audience. But it seems I, like uh, everywhere. <laughs> I don't know how smart that would be, but you know, looking forward to it. It's a fairly small market. Yeah, yeah. Cynical, cynical editors. Um, and let's finish with our best places to work initiative, which is uh, obviously really more important than ever, given the future of work and how that's developing. But yeah, we've launched our call for entries to the best places to work 2022. 
Yeah, super important point about this, first and foremost, is that the deadline is approaching really quickly. So um, you need to get your forms filled out if you want to enter this by Monday, August the 8th, which is approaching in less than a week. So um, really interested to see what comes out of this because agencies uh, especially, but I think in-house departments as well, are really trying to position themselves uh, as a good place for employees to be when employees can, you know, it's still a strong job market. And uh, employees have a lot of choices about where they want to work. So uh, interested to see the kind of benefits that in-house teams and agencies are offering people this year and whether the you-can-work-from-wherever-whenever trend continues. Yeah, for sure. That's going to be interesting, right? The best places to work, to work here, but work from where you are. Well, what's Odyssey's policy, Paul, in terms of, uh, you know, how do you deal with that? Obviously, there's certain people, I guess, have to be there in person, right? But uh, what sort of general instructions have you been sending out? We've gone to a flexible hybrid model. A lot of our content is created in real time. We are we are a business that works 24-7. So no matter what Odyssey office you uh, visit, there will be human beings there um, day and night. Um, we're finding that having a real flexible uh, uh, policy has, been, has landed very well. Uh, we're seeing people wanting to come back to the workplace, and we're seeing the workplace as an occasion place. People come into work not to close their door and get on Zoom calls. Um, they come to spend time together. They come to collaborate. They come to you know, think and be creative. Um, I was in yesterday with our full creative team, and it's it's like a real happy occasion being in the workplace now. So uh, it's definitely trending in that direction. I'll tell you, I, I commute in, and the train station is getting more – the parking lot's getting more and more packed week on week on week. So Yeah, for sure, the, especially uh, after Labor Day. I think we'll see, see some big trends emerging there. But you're right. I mean, we're recording this in three different locations in a virtual studio. So, you know, you can do stuff. But when you do get together, you've got to make that time um, – count so i should just um reinforce frank so you do need to register by the 8th for best places to work but then the survey will go out and the deadline for responses to that is the 9th of september so it's not a big lift just you just need to register with in the system that you want to be part of this and you want to to be um to have the survey go out to your staff so make sure you do that by uh, by monday and uh, it should be a great initiative as well so, Paul, great to chat to you. Um, really interesting to catch up and good luck with the continued rollout of Odyssey. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Steve. It was great to spend some time with you both. I hope you guys have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank, as always. Yes, thanks for having me on. And just to finish, don't forget our PR Week Awards. They are the Oscars of PR. As you know, they are open for nominations. You've got until the 28th of September to get your entries in for that. So make sure you're working on those. And then don't forget our PR Decoded and Purpose Awards will be in Chicago on 11th and 12th of October. It's a big conference, going to be a great show with the Purpose Awards in the middle evening, really shaping up well the content and the uh, uh, the vibe around and the, and the excitement around that. People are looking forward to getting together again after a few years. So uh, that is another one to look forward to. But enjoy this the next week of summer, and we'll see you next time on the PR Week.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.